Now this week's parsha is Parshat Vaera, the second parsha in the book of Exodus. And the, par- the parsha tells us really in this parsha we read the story of the ten plagues. Seven of the ten plagues are in this parsha. L- yesterday, what you read? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I have a question. Yeah. So before this, um, Aaron is older than Moshe. Yes. How is it that Aaron didn't get thrown in the Nile? Or there was that whole story, like how did he It was not, it was a specific time for the decree. Okay. For the, when Moses was born, according to the commentaries, it was because the astrologers told Pharaoh that a Jewish baby is going to be born and is going to be the redeemer of the Jewish people. Therefore, every Jewish baby should be thrown into the river because you don't know where it is. But that when Aaron was born, it wasn't, the decree was not the there. Okay. No, that's why, yeah. And then how did, and Aaron, did Moses know that Aaron was his, when did, like, I know that he met Miriam, but how did, when did he meet Aaron? What do you mean when he met Aaron? I mean, like, when, when did he realize that Aaron was his brother? When he knew that Aaron his brother, he knew from day one. I mean, he was raised by his mother the first two years. Right. I, who nursed him, his mother, his biological mother. Then then Aaron, then uh, Moses knew, even his, uh, Pharaoh's daughter told him, that he's coming from a Jewish home, and she told him more, and he knew that he has a brother and a sister. It wasn't a secret. Okay. Later, he, he, he grew up as a, as a prince in Egypt. He, wa- he, wasn't, he didn't see them every day, but he knew that he has a brother and a sister. Then he was 60 years, he was away from Egypt because he killed the Egyptian by the age of right. 20. He ran away, he was a Midian. Right. During these 60 years, who you think was the leader of the Jewish people in Egypt was Aaron. That's why Moses didn't want to become the leader. He felt that he's stepping on Aaron's foot. I mean, he's stepping, it's, a, uh, it's a, and his toes, it's, it's his place. And he didn't want to, he says, he's the leader. Why should I come and, and take away from him? That's why, uh, Mo- that's one of the reasons Moses did not want to be the leader. And he told them, God told, that's why God told them, you come, Aaron will be happy yeah. to see you. Because he knew that being happy to see you, is, uh, he, will not, he will not be jealous, just the opposite. You see, Aaron was the older son, the older brother. Your, Moses is the younger. For the same reason, the Jewish people, um, uh, Moses was afraid, the Jewish people tell Mo- Moses, who are you, where were you until today? Aaron was a part, then having Aaron with Moses added credibility to, uh, to Moses. And Aaron comes and says, this is my brother, and God sent him, and everybody knows Aaron, everybody loved Aaron. Aaron was a very beloved leader. Then Moses, that's why Moses wanted Aaron to be with him, so to speak, because it gave a lot of credibility to Moses. Helped him to, he was afraid the Jews will resent him. The question they will ask, where were you until now? We are suffering here for 60 years. You were, going, you were in Florida on the beach having fun. Where were you until today? It's like the, the Jews, I mean, during the Holocaust, they, some, many Jews were saying that the Americans came too late. There's a whole story about that, but that's not, the point is, that was Aaron's adding a lot to Moses' leadership in the beginning to make it easier. Thank you. That's the whole theme of that. There's a show on PBS right now. It's a series, I think it's like a five-part series, The U.S. and the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the themes. It's already, yeah, it's a, it's a while ago. Yeah, that's one of the themes of it. The U.S. came too late. 
Oh, they say I speak about that, that no, you guys came in the Yeah, there was. Yeah, they tried to stay out of the war. Yeah, they tried to stay out of it totally. Yeah. Sure. Now we'll start source number one. You'll start. <laughs> Go ahead. Source one. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you a lord over Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your speaker. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the children of Israel out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. That God tells Moses, don't worry, your brother Aaron will be your speaker. And um, you will say, and, and, Moses and Pharaoh will be stubborn. God tells him in advance that he's going to be stubborn. That's going to be out. Read the Rashi. Rashi. Since Pharaoh behaved wickedly and defied me, and I know that the nations find no spiritual satisfaction by making a wholehearted attempt to repent, it is better for me that his heart be hardened so that I can increase my signs and my wonders in him, and you will recognize my mighty deeds. You will recognize my mighty deeds means the Jews. The part of the process of the whole agenda of the ten plagues was that the Jews should be convinced that there is a God. Most of the Jews in Egypt were assimilated. They were also idol worshippers. Then as much as it was a job to convince the Egyptians that there is a God, they lived in Egypt. They were a part of the Egyptian culture. Even they were slaves, but still they were a part of the culture. Then they needed the ten plagues. Was the job of the ten plagues was to bring the Jews around. They should start to believe in God, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not in the idol worshiping, idols, what they were worshiping at that time, the paganism. Go ahead. This is? This is God's mode of conduct. He brings retribution on the nations so that Israel should hear and fear, as it is said, I have cut off nations. Their towers have become desolate. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept reproof. Then there was a double purpose. Number one, to convince the Egyptians to believe in God, they should release the Jewish people from Egypt. And meanwhile, on the side, to convince the Jews to go out of Egypt. Because the Jews wouldn't go out of Egypt so fast. See, going out from Egypt, think about that. You're a slave in a country, yes, but you're in a civilized country. Then comes a Moses and tells you, let's go. Go where? To the desert. What are you going to do there? I'm going to take care of my elderly parents. You have medication for them. I have diapers for the babies. We're going where? Then to go, to take the Jews out of Egypt to the desert... Even you promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. We are there in Canaan. I mean, anybody who is normal, I better be a slave in a civilized country than a free man in the desert, dead maybe. Then it was a very <coughs> big job. The biggest goal, what the hardest goal was to convince the Jews getting out of Egypt. Therefore, the last yesterday is Parsha. When Moses complained that things got worse, but since he went to Pharaoh, things got, got worse, he actually, God told them something very, the last line of the parsha was very good news. He says, don't worry, they'll go out from Egypt, and Pharaoh will chase them out of Egypt with a strong, with a mighty end. That was good news, because if Pharaoh wouldn't chase them out from Egypt, we would still be in Egypt until today. The Jews did not want to leave Egypt. Think about it, even from the former Soviet Union, many Jews are still there. They have 10 years time to live. They didn't. Right, but, but yeah, you know that 
people who want to make the po point that they will make the parallel absolutely perfect with Holocaust again, you know? Like when the portion where you're saying, and uh, I will harden the Pharaoh's uh, uh, heart, whatever, so I will make everything that worse that the uh, Jews will have to realize and to do this. So when you were talking about this, they will say, hey, I will, uh, I would not say when assist with Holocaust or whatever, but I will let it happen the way that uh, Jews will realize that they need uh, create an Israel, you know, they will realize they need to go to their land eventually, you know, from everywhere. Maybe, yeah, you, you, you have a point, yeah. You, you mentioned four countries that Jews are supposed to live in, like in the United The Rebbe said, yeah. yeah. Which I countries were they? United, uh, Israel, United States, England, and France. No Canada? Canada. Canada is America. It's a part of America. No. They think they think they're a country on their own, but they're really a part of America. It's the upper side of the U.S. But that's what the Rebbe mentioned, the four countries. He mentioned the first time Israel, America, and England. The second time, into the conversation, he said the future of the Jews is more is in Israel, America, England, and France. That was said. Canada in the world of, in the Jewish world, America and Canada goes together. That's one the thing. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> Australia also, there's a lot of Jews from Australia. How many Jews moved to Australia? How many? <laughs> Not too many. Wow. I can tell you that. <laughs> Schlepp Jews to Australia. It's easier to take him out from Egypt. <laughs> okay. Source number two. The chronology. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the river, their rivers, canals, ponds, and all of their bodies of water, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the entire land of Egypt, even in wood and in stone. Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord had commanded. He raised the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile before the eyes of Pharaoh and before the eyes of his servants. And all the water in the Nile turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became putrid. The Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout the entire land of Egypt. Yeah. Then what's going on here? The first plague was the blood. Why, why, why was the first plague, uh, plague blood? What was the reason? Wasn't the Nile a god? Did they worship the Nile? They worshiped God, yeah, they and therefore... Babies what? Because they were throwing babies into Yeah, this is also true. F number one, because there was the god of the Egyptian. What means it was the god of the Egyptian? In Egypt, there was they never reigned. Then the, the Egyptians survived the water, everything, the whole economy was dependent on the Nile River. That from their point of view, the Nile was the god. Then God, then God wanted to show that the God is suffering, that their God is not God. That's number one. And number two, what you said is that the Egyptian threw the babies into the Nile River. Then the Nile River was a cover-up for so much blood. It's the easiest way to do it. At night, you throw the babies in the Nile River. In the morning, people go to work. They never heard from anything. They don't know from anything. They made themselves like they don't know from anything. They are nice people. They are moral people. They know. Nobody sees anything. Just as was in, uh, in Hungary, in Budapest, there is the famous, uh, the Duna, Duna. So, so what, uh, what do we, just curious, what comes to mind is, it, do we think it was really blood, or was it uh, maybe algae blooms? They, sometimes you see some real red uh, sort of pigmentation. To I'll tell you, it was, it was some type of a blood that the fish died, and, and you couldn't drink it if it was blood. And then if it changed, 
it was, was able to change as a miraculous blood. That exactly what it was from my scientifically po point of view, I cannot tell you. But it was blood that the fish died by drinking it. And, uh, and, uh, and, and no, no, no human being was able to drink this, 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 kind, this type of uh, liquid. Also it, it was some kind of like, not a movie or whatever, it meant like it, it, scientific kind of explanation for the each miracle or whatever it was. Yeah. Very yeah, there time, every time there is always, in every generation, somebody, somebody tries to give it a scientific explanation to make it more logical. But it doesn't take away from the miracle because even if it's like about the, the splitting of the sea, it was just a down in the water. Okay, if you can bring a whole nation and the right minute should be a down of the water, it's a, it's a miracle. It doesn't make a difference how it was. Okay, seven full seven days. Seven full days passed after the Lord had smitten the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, come to Pharaoh and say to him, so said the Lord, let my people go so that they may serve, serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your entire land with frogs. Okay. Um, now that you finish your job, go there in the, in the lobby. There is a, uh, put it down, it's too hot. <laughs> um, How long was the Nile blood for the Seven days. Seven days. That's and what then, he said. And then he stopped it? And then, oh, and then stopped, it stopped. Yeah, God stopped it. <coughs> Pharaoh did not even beg Moses to stop it. It stopped, God stopped it after seven days. As we, 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 we go, then we're going to, we'll, we'll get to it in a, in, a, in a little bit. But first of all, what you're going to learn here, the most important piece, is what Rashi is going to tell us. What happened after seven days? Michael, you want to read? Sure. Literally, seven days were filled since the word... Uh, Vaimale. Vaimale, exactly. It's singular, <laughs> Rashi explains. <laughs> the number of seven days... The Nile did not return to its original state was filled. For the plague would be in effect for a quarter of the month, and for three quarters of the month, Moses would exhort and warn them. Okay, that's what Rashi says here. The it used to be like this. One week of plague, then three weeks Moses is warning Pharaoh, and then there is another plague. Every plague took a month, basically. And the last few plagues, it was one after the other. But the, it was a whole winter from Rosh Hashanah until Pesach to the, to the ten plagues. That was, that, that's the way God operated. And this comes the question that the Rebbe has. Continue. Why there are the plagues uh, stretched out? Considering the purpose of the many signs was so that Jews should recognize God's power, a simple question can be asked. Why did the ten plagues need to be stretched out over such a long period of time? The plague itself would operate for a week, and during the remaining three weeks of the month, Moses would, work, would warn the Egyptians. There seemed no need for the plague to last a full week in order for the Jews to learn to fear God. One day should be enough, or two three days most. The three weeks between the each plague seemed even more unnecessary. Indeed, That means the question is, if you wanted to sh the Jews, the Egyptians to realize that there is a God, and the Jews to realize that, you don't need three weeks. Why need such a long time? Wouldn't be they got a message, they got a memo, one day, two days after the, after the plague, everybody gets it. Three days. Why do you need three weeks? Indeed. Indeed, we find regarding the final plague that it didn't last as long as the previous ones. 
the plague of the firstborn took the place in one moment. I hope the plague of the firstborn doesn't take a long time to die. They died in a second. The whole a midnight of Pesach, they, all the firstborn died. Go ahead. And only one warning was given beforehand. As Rashi tells us that after giving Pharaoh the warning, Moses never saw him again. This is thanks to the question, why did the previous plagues require such a lengthy time span? You see, when, when Pharaoh, what happened is by the la before the last plague, before the plague of the firstborn, Pharaoh, Pharaoh called Moses, summoned Moses. And he argued with Moses about, if Moses told him, let him go, let everybody go, Pharaoh didn't want to. Pharaoh got so upset with him, he told him, I don't want to see you again. If I see you again, you're dead. Then Moses, right as he was st standing in Pharaoh's office, he told Pharaoh, he had a prophecy, and he told Pharaoh, you're right, I will not see you again, basically. But here is what's going to happen. The, the, he told him about the plague of the firstborn son, and he left. And a short time later was the plague of the firstborn. Then you see that in the end, they didn't take three weeks and, uh, of the warning. Why in the beginning you needed the three weeks? That's the question. Why, such, why stretched out on such a long period of time, the plagues? And Pharaoh is very liberal, too. You know? He doesn't the jail Moses out of the first flag. He, you know, I mean, no, no, no. He, he saw that Moses has superpowers. He was afraid to jail him. That's why he didn't jail him. Actually, Rashi says, as we're going to learn in a little bit, in a minute, <coughs> since Rosh Hashanah, since she started the plagues, the Jewish people were not slaves anymore. Slavery stopped. It was not freedom, but slavery stopped. That's why it was even harder to get the Jews out of Egypt. You know, six months, they forget everything, all the bad days. Oh, life is so good. What the police stopped or basically became the situation that they, uh, they, they at the beginning, they had no straws. No, no, no. It's written from, from the plagues. From the beginning of the plagues, the pla the, when they got the first plague of blood, they understood that there is a mean business here. Okay. They, stopped the, they stopped the slave, slavery, but to give up on such a nation, Pharaoh was not ready. It was like, it was like Soviet Union. It was, Russia was a jail. Nobody was able to live. No one. Like in, like in Soviet Union, the 50s and the 60s, it was impossible to live. Continue. Six months delay. The most prophetic outcome of the lengthy span of each plague was um, uh, that this forced the Jewish people to stay longer in exile. True, the Talmud states that from the Rosh Hashanah before the Exodus, the Jewish people were no longer enslaved, but they were still imprisoned in exile for another six months, an entire winter. An entire winter to stay in, e in exile? The Jews were so desperate to get out of Egypt. Why is God stretching it out for so long? And schlepping and taking the Neshome out or soul out? Or but were they desperate? You, 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 they had to be convinced too. Some and some, as, as in life, as in real life. Always some people never be convinced. Even you beat them under the head, they will not be convinced. <laughs> well, most of them were. But, the, but the many, many of them wanted to leave Egypt. Why should the people who want to leave Egypt suffer before the people who don't want to, who that even templates will not help them? But even by the end, only 80%. That's Basically, I think most of us would be very, that's very uncomfortable if we stayed in limbo, meaning that we have no place to go, or nothing to do, no, no direction, no... No job, no nothing. nothing, nothing. 
Why? It's retirement. What's wrong with this? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't know how this is going to. They knew that Moses is going to take them out of Egypt, right. but nobody. I don't think Moses gave a report to the Jewish people. It's going to be ten plagues. It's going to be four and this and four and. Then every it was it was every day was news. So did he, was he was he told at the beginning there's going to be ten plagues, or he told? No, no I don't think so. No, they didn't know there's going to be ten plagues. But Actually, in the belief, beginning, right? what? I mean, oh, belief. that's where it's going, the whole discussion. Then uh, the, the temple, actually, right in the beginning, God told Moses it's going to be the about the tenth plague. The first time God spoke to Moses, he told him, tell Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn son leave Egypt, I will kill your firstborn son. They, they, they knew in the beginning, but the tenth plague, no, they didn't know about it. Okay, the explanation of the matter. It means to say, what the Rebbe is saying uh, that, like you said, that it took time. Every plague had a certain impact, and then one is, a, and then it was in the end was a cumulative effect. Ten plagues, then, but then for the impact to take place, you needed time. You needed a lot of time that people internalize it and think about it and learn about it. We see a similar thing even in a shorter time about Abraham. When God told Abraham to to offer his son as a sacrifice, God told him that it took three days. And the third day he came, he came to, to Mount Moriah. And the Talmud says, why three days? That people shouldn't say God shocked them and he sacrificed his son and he didn't know what he was doing. He had three days, he had enough time to, to think about it and to rethink about it and again and again and again. Here also, to, to educate the nation, the Jewish nation as well as the Egyptian nation, you needed time. Some, you, cannot, you cannot push a nation, you cannot push people to get the point right away. Any time, every, every process in the world takes time. And to educate, to re-educate, to change a culture of a place, a culture of a, even a family, a marriage, whatever it is, it takes time to, for people to internalize the message and to change little by little until they get it. And that's what really was happening here. Not everybody just got up and left at the same time. Yeah, little by little, it happened. One family left, and the second family left. Same thing happened in Germany left. with, uh, you know, when the Germans, when the government changed. You're right, Not and we see it every. No, because to <coughs> leave is a very hard thing. It's just very hard. You, you have, have everything and going to unknown. To yeah, you have a family, you have a ma you have a job. You have, we establish if you were all your elderly siblings. I mean, it's so many. It's, it's complicated to just get up and leave. Young people, you know, most, most of the times you see who left to another country, who came to America in the 1900s. The young, the young people, the single guys, they got up and run away from, from this, they run away from the army, but the bottom line is for them it's much easier to live. You have a family, you have children, you have parents, you have this, you're not leaving so fast. Therefore, you need that all of this was a way of changing their thinking slowly. You want to continue? The plague's impact. Blood. Source, Exodus 7, 17. With the staff I am holding, I will smite the water of the Nile, and it will turn to blood. 
Rashi, there is no rainfall in Egypt, and the Nile ascends and waters the land. The Egyptians therefore worship the Nile as a deity. God therefore smote their deity, and afterwards he smote them. He first smoked the deity and then them. Yeah. It means to say, first the God and then them. He wanted to leave him a message on the answering machine. See what is happening to God? Then change. They didn't want to hear it. They had to go stronger and stronger. God gave the Egyptians many opportunities to do the right thing. He didn't want to destroy Egypt, but they didn't leave him any option. God doesn't want to destroy things that he created. He created the world. He doesn't want to destroy it. But therefore, he gives them one message, a second message, a third message, little by little. But they didn't want to, they didn't want to get it. For example, so what? For example, Rashi writes regarding the plague of blood that with this plague, God struck the idolatrous belief of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In order for this, to, in order for this effect to be fully felt, the plague had to endure for a period of time. In this way, the Egyptians would have the time to contemplate the matter and internalize it. The plague of blood had another form of impact on the Egyptians and the Jews that should be noted. Okay, then first of all, you need a time. They should internalize it, but here it was even more. According to the Medrash, was something unique about this plague. You want to read? Rabbi Avin, the Levite, son of Rebbe, said that Israelites got rich from the plague of blood. How so? When an Israelite and an Egyptian were living in one house and a barrel was full of water, the Egyptian would go to fill the jug from it and it would be filled with blood. The Israelite would drink water from the barrel and the Egyptian would say, give me a little water. And he would give him, but it turned into blood. He would say, you and I both drink from the same barrel. The Israelite would drink water and the Egyptian would drink blood. But when the Egyptian would purchase the water from an Israelite with money, he would be able to drink water. From here, the Israelite, Israelites became rich. God told the Jewish people, uh, God told Abraham that one, when your Jewish people, your, your children, your descendants will be enslaved in a foreign land. And when they leave, they'll leave it a lot with great wealth. Then it started right in the beginning. Then the same water. If the Jewish person holds the cup, it's water. The Egyptian holds the cup, it becomes blood. Therefore, I don't know scientifically what exactly it was, but it was, it switched many times. But if he paid, paid for it, then what, what really happens behind it? Continue the next paragraph. Through the anti-Semites, because there will be <laughs> It's a whole miracle just to, to make the Jews rich. That's exactly. Exactly. The no, one second, one second. You continue to read. The, Rebbe, the deep effect this had on the Egyptians is clear. The Jews were the Egyptian slaves and forced to do backbreaking labor. Now the Egyptian needs to take his own money and give it to a Jew in order to quench his thirst. This had an effect on the Egyptian magicians as well because they too were thirsty. I mean to say what the Rebbe is saying here, it's not just it's a cute thing the Egyptian gets that we make money. It was such a culture shock. The boss has to pay his slave money to drink water. Pharaoh wants water, he needs to buy it from a Jew. There is a way, if not for seven days, if you don't drink water, you die. How they survived? They survived by buying the, buying the water from the Jews. Then in the first plague, everything turned around upside down. The slave became the masters. You have to pay them for, for being able to survive. That's what really happened there. It was more than just making them rich. It was, it was the old the whole way of thinking in Egypt changed. Conversely, you want to continue? Conversely, this, this shows the Jews their own greatness. Even when the Egyptian wanted to spring out of the same vessel as a Jew, the Egyptian's water 
would turn into blood, while the Jews drank good water. Only when the Egyptian paid for the water was he able to drink it. The effect was so great that the Jewish people, the Jewish people became wealthy as a result. Again, it's not about the money. It's the, the, the um, psychology of the Jews. When you are born into slavery, the slavery took, was eight years. Your father is a slave, your grandfather is a slave. Then the culture of a slave, a sla and slave person is that he's, he's garbage. He's like a rogue. Everybody steps over him. He can do with him whatever he wants. His life is worthless. And then a part of the <coughs> plague was changing the psychology, giving strength, giving uh, self-confidence to the Jews to tell them how important they are. This big Egyptian macher, he buys from you from the little Jewish boy. He has to pay him money to get a cup of water. Like, you know, they, they sell the, the lemon on the street in the lemonade. summer, the kids. Lemonade. Huh? Lemonade. lemonade, I mean. Then you have to buy lemonade for $2. Can you imagine the big mahi wants to drink a little a cup of water, has to go to this little boy on the street, says, can you give me a cup of water? And only then he gets water. Suddenly, the Jewish people started to look at themselves. They are worth something. Then God needed to build up the Jewish people. Forget about the Egyptian, we need to teach them a, a good few lessons. But to make them into human beings, they were a nation of slaves. They were, it's a culture of slaves. They were felt down. They felt always afraid of the Egyptian. And suddenly, it, to, it took time to change this. This is the first flag. Now it's, that's why you need three weeks. Then the Jewish people later for three weeks sitting thinking, you know, we were bosses for one week. Can you believe it? We have so much power. God loves us. Giving them self-confidence. That's not your job all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. It's <laughs> easy if you're God. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Okay. Go ahead. Aaron Stretch. Uh, the second plague. Yeah. Plague number two is frog. Go ahead. Aaron Stretch uh, 40 cent over the water of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. What happened in the second plague? You know, the first plague... Moses, if Pharaoh never asked Moses to stop the plague. He was stubborn, he doesn't want to listen and finish. The second plague was already a new thing. What happened with frog? Pharaoh, he, will, he warned Pharaoh, and then he eat the rivers, the Nile River, and from the Nile River came out unlimited amount of frogs. They spread all over Egypt, in your beds, in your ovens, in everything that was around. You couldn't live, you couldn't survive. It was horrible. Then, continue the Rebbe. Rebbe. The plague of frogs went over further than the plague of blood. Here the plague arose from the Nile, uh, their false god itself. Because this is so obvious, Russia didn't even need to spell this out in the commentary. What is this mean? What it says here? Hello, hi. The, the frog, the frog is, the, the specialness of the frog is, the plague of the frog is unique because, you see, the first plague was, okay, okay, they have enough booklets. The first plague was just the God of Egypt itself was suffering. The second plague, the God of Egypt, the idol of Egypt, made was the production was the source of the suffering for all of Egypt that was the that was the upgrade of the plagues you understand 
The first plague, only the river was full of, of blood. But if you want to drink water, you don't have water. But everybody in his own room, in his own bed, was fine. The second plague was an upgrade of the suffering. The idol, the god of the Egypt, was the cause of suffering for everybody who lives in Egypt. Because the frogs came out from the river and made everybody suffer. Because the frogs went everywhere. You couldn't find a place. It was even in Pharaoh's palace. It couldn't stop. Nobody was able to stop the frogs from coming in every loch in, in, in Egypt. Oh, when you said everywhere, so that's a very good point. Was in the Jewish homes or not? According to Rashi, and there is a big argument about the commentaries, what plagues the Jews, if the Jews suffered from it or not, but the most accepted exp explanation is that the Jews did not suffer from it, no. But if it were, there were probably nice frogs, you know, and Jews probably <laughs> 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 Cute ones. <laughs> did, uh, back in those times, did they have uh, a role of exterminator or someone? You know, I'm sure they were. Yeah, I, I, that's written that they will try to kill them. But instead of killing them, you hit, there was one big frog that came out first. And the more you hit them, the more frogs came out. Then it was, instead of getting rid of them, you got even more of them. For seven days, everybody suffered. And that's why, by the second plague, Pharaoh called Moses. And he told him, please, pray, they should stop. Moses says, when you want me to, to pray? He says, tomorrow. He says, OK, tomorrow. Moses prayed, and the next day, the frogs were gone. So each miracle was ending at some period of time. So when frogs started, uh, blood in the Nile was not the case. Already three years. weeks already gone. gone. Yes. So Jews at that point were not able to become even more rich no. because of this. No. Said, uh, I see you're worried about the richness. For one week, for one week. Would the Egyptians, like they went to the Jews for water, would they go to the Jews' house to say, you, your house has no frogs, I need a place to sleep and like kick them out of their house? It could, could I'm sure if you kick them out of the house, for sure the frogs showed up there. But what if I they kept the Jews in the house? Could be, could be the frogs uh, didn't come, or maybe the frogs came straight to the Egyptian bed. I mean, it's written about the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn son. There were Jewish people in Egyptian homes. Even by the time that was the Seder and all the Jews were supposed to celebrate the Seder in Egypt, the first Seder in Egypt, there were still Jews are in the bars. Not everybody went to the Seder. And even then, the Egyptian firstborn died and the Jewish firstborn didn't die. Even when they were mixed in the same homes. Then based on this, even by the frogs also the same thing, the Jews didn't suffer from it, even when they were mixed. It was a miracle. It wasn't a normal uh, scientific reality that happened. Okay. Um, Danny, you want to continue? Lies, source 6, Exodus 8, 13, 15. Aaron stretched out, he stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And the lice were upon man, and the beast, all the dust of the earth became lice throughout the entire land of Egypt. And the magicians did likewise, and their secret rites are in an attempt to bring out lice, but they could not. So the magician said to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. You see, the first, floor, first plague and the second plague, uh, Pharaoh summoned his additions, and they were able to produce, to also turn water into, into blood. They were able to turn 
uh, to get, get frogs out of the water also. They were able to do the same thing. See, at that time, um, there was this power of doing, uh, of doing, uh, of doing this type of uh, magic sorcery, in Egypt, right? sorcery. God did it purposely that to see the end of God will be hard. You understand? What happened there? The first day, Moses come to the water into blood. Into blood. His, his, his additions do the same thing. Pharaoh says, no, so who are you? I have a, he said it. Pharaoh says, in a land of ma magic, you bring, me, you bring your magic? You're going to, you, you think you're going to impress me? The second plague, therefore he, therefore he didn't say, I'm not, I don't listen to you. Throw them out. I don't need you. The second plague, it became really bad. But, the, but the, his mag magicians were also able to do the same thing by the fog. Therefore, Pharaoh actually be begged Moses to get rid of it, but he wasn't so convinced. The third plague, there was something new. See, the first plague, he didn't ask him to stop it. The third, second plague, he asked, him, he asked him already to stop it. The third plague, the magician says, it's the finger of God, because they, could, they couldn't turn the dust into, into lice. That they saw already, they said it's the end of God. They said it. Did Pharaoh say it? I'll tell you what's going on here. Pharaoh, the Rebbe says that also, read it, read it, I'm sorry. Until the, rabbi, <coughs> until the plague of lice, Pharaoh claimed that himself was a god. But his plague, this, this plague forced him and his magicians to concede that the finger of God was absent. Here is the first time you see Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I am God. That was Pharaoh's thing. He's God. He's God and the, and the, and the, and the Nile River belongs to him. And that's why, if you see, if you read in the, in the text, in the Bible, God tells Pharaoh, God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh early in the morning, meet him by the river, by the Nile River. Why by the Nile River? Because Pharaoh, a God, does not have to go out to the toilet. He doesn't have to relieve himself. That Pharaoh is to go every morning, early in the morning, to the, to the river, when nobody was there in the middle of the night. And then he used to take care of his human side, and then he was God for another 24 hours. Then God told Moses, go there to the river, cut Pharaoh with his pants down, and show him that you know he's not a God. Literally. Literally. <laughs> then, then here is the first time when he came to the, to, the, to, the, to the lies, Pharaoh had to say, oh, there is a finger of God. Pharaoh in his, in his but on the other end, he saw it was God, but he could also say, Moses is just a better ma ma magician. He's a, he's do, he's a better, better magician. He's doing better things. He's better. He went to a better school. He knows how to do more, more tricks than I don't know. Then my guys are, are losers. They don't know how to do it. He's going, look, look, Moses. He's a heavy man. The moment, the first plague, they were able to do the same thing. And the second plague, even not the same. And even was, if Moses' plague was stronger in the water. Still, it was a place for people who don't want to believe to say, no, it's not God. It's all of us. It's like even today, you know, sometimes, many times, there is, it's like when the people are trying to explain the 10 plagues with, with um, uh, science. What, what really lays behind it? Why are they trying to say, give scientific explanation to the 10 plagues? Just it's not God. Just it just worked out. It just happened to be. They can't take it that God is the one who is doing it. If today people do it, what do you think happened by, by Pharaoh, who thought that he is God? 
Okay, El. Plague number, the next plague, yes. Verse 7. God said, At this time tomorrow I am going to rain down a very heavy hail, the likes of which has never been in Egypt from the day of its founding until now. Go now and gather in your livestock and all that you have in the field, because any man or beast that is found in the field and not brought into the house will be struck by the hail, and they will die. Those among Pharaoh's servants who feared the word of the Lord drove their servants and his livestock into their house. Moses warned them that whoever will not bring his livestock inside, they will be, they'll die. Anything, the, the hail will destroy everything. Then here comes what happened to you. Some of Pharaoh's people already also believed Moses. If he says something, you better take, can take it to the bank. You better do something. Then you see the process of Egypt becoming more and more believing Moses that he speaks in the name of God. And that's what the, the next step. Go ahead, the next paragraph. Egypt. Actually, now what you want to read? You read it. Okay. Even before the plague, even before the plague of hail, were some Egyptians who were God-fearing, but this didn't have any practical expression. The plague of hail motivated the God-fearing Egyptians to express their behalf in a practical action. Rushing to shelter their legs, now what is happening here, you know, many times people say, I believe in God. You know, many people really believe in art and this. But to, it should be coming to an action. They should do it. That's a whole different level. And that's what really happened there. Rabbi, I never read that actually they were told what's coming. I mean, like in this case, they were told. Specifically for hell? Uh, no, uh, well, I mean, Mo Moses. I read, like, well, no, no. We're talking about miracles, like they were warned in advance, and but it seems to be that's uh, that's the case, as you just. No, did. no. He he came to Pharaoh and he told them, God is bringing tomorrow hell. Anything that's been in the field will, be, will die. He doesn't say he told people be careful, take it in. The people heard the news, and those who, be, who feared God, who believed in God knew that Moses promised their Pharaoh that's going to happen, it's going to happen. What about lies, frogs, all others, uh, blood, was it kind of... I'm sure everybody heard about it. After Moses heard about it, everybody heard about it. I mean, after Moses told Pharaoh, then other people heard about it. each miracle... Uh, um, you see, in lies, you couldn't help it. You cannot uh, hide from it. It goes everywhere. No, 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 just from perspective of... Tell it in advance what's coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every one of the plagues, Moses, Moses came to Pharaoh and told them, let my people go. If you don't let them, I will bring, uh, I'll turn the water into, into, into blood. The second thing, if you don't let the people, three weeks he told them, said, let the people go. If not, I'll turn the water, I'll bring fog out. And oh, every time there I were warnings. Let my people go or something bad is going to happen and you will see it. it no, no, no. It was, he told them in advance what's going to happen. You see, so a human being is afraid to give out his secret. Because if he gives out the secret, you cannot do it. If I'm going to tell you, I'm going to punish you, protect, you, protect yourself. God isn't afraid of it. He says, yeah, I'm going to bring forth that. I want to see you protecting yourself from it. <laughs> Therefore, God does not have to be 
the one who is, uh, we can say in advance in public, be careful, this is going to happen. Because nobody can hide from God. That's why he was not, just the opposite. He tells it because more, as I said in the beginning, even more, God doesn't want them to suffer from the plague. God doesn't want to destroy the world. He wants Pharaoh to let the people go. If he doesn't let it, he brings it upon himself. He knew very well in advance what's going to come to him. Absolutely. And the, the hail, though, was special hail. It had, it had fire burning on the inside of it. I mean, it's, it was like impossible. It's a hail that killed animals and humans. Yeah. Locusts, go ahead. Locusts, source eight. <coughs> Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, if you refuse to let the Israelites go, tomorrow I am going to bring locusts into your land. They will obscure the view of the earth, and no one will be able to see the earth. They will eat the surviving remnant left over by the hail, and they will consume all your trees that grow out of the field. He turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this one be a stumbling block to us? Let the people go, and they will worship their God. Don't you understand yet that Egypt is lost? You see, you see already a step further. Not only the people who are afraid of God are hiding their animals, the livestock. Here, Pharaoh's <coughs> advisors tell him, let them people, let them go already. Let you see what's going on here. He gets pressured from his own people. The pressure is growing. It means to say, little by little, by every plague, more and more people start to believe in God and get at the side of the Jewish people and tell Pharaoh, don't you see what's going on here? Continue. Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to them, Go worship the Lord your God. Who will be going? Moses said, We will go with our youth and our elders, our sons and our daughters, our flocks and our cattle, because it is a festival of the Lord for us. Pharaoh told them, Not so. Let the men go now and worship the Lord. This paragraph, this little paragraph, is, uh, lays, there is a lot in it. Pharaoh is asking him, Who is going? Moses says, Everybody is going. Young and old, men and women, <coughs> everybody's going. What Pharaoh is answering? Pharaoh said, let the men go. You see, in ancient Egypt, religion, anything meaningful was for men. They should go. Chauvinism was there in Egypt. Look what Moses says. Before the nation became a nation, everybody is serving God. Male, female, boys, girls. Young, old, everybody is a part of the service of God. Mount Sinai, when God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, the Talmud says if one baby would be missing, God wouldn't give the Ten Commandments. Everybody was at Mount Sinai. This argument, who should serve God, only for the smart, for the, for the scientists, for the educated, they do with these things. That was the Egyptian culture. There's the geniuses who knows how to, they, 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 Egypt preserved two societies. They made sure that most of the society should be ignorant, not know how, even how to read. And in this way, they can control them. And there is a very small society, the elite, they know how to read, they are educated, they are geniuses, they are smart, and everybody else should be ignorant. Here, Pharaoh, Moses comes and introduces a new way of doing things. In Judaism, everybody is obligated to learn Torah. Everybody has to be a part of the Jew. Everybody has to do mitzvahs. Everybody has a connection to God, no matter who it is. No matter how old you are, no matter the gender, no matter anything. That was a new thing in the world that took thousands of years for the rest of the world catch, to catch up. 
But in Judaism, it was from day one. Okay, you want to continue, the Rebbe? The Rebbe, the warning about the impending plague of locusts didn't cause Pharaoh to repent completely and free the Jewish people from Egypt, but it did have a partial effect on him. He agreed to allow at least the men to leave, something he had refused until then. Similarly, every plague had its unique effect, adding on to that which was achieved earlier. It was step by step, that's why it needed three weeks and time. The more time he had, the more time he was able to change. Even Pharaoh started to change little by little. Go ahead. Learning takes time. This provides Learning takes time, you know. <laughs> this provides us with a simple explanation for why the plagues needed to come separately, with a pause in between each one. Stretching them out allowed the Egyptians time to consider the effect of the plague and draw conclusions from it. Had each plague occurred quickly and without a pause between the plagues, the Egyptians wouldn't have had enough time to contemplate the meaning of the plagues, and thus the plagues wouldn't have had their desired effect. You know, it's why people take pictures and they go on vacations. Because in your day, you're running from one place to another to another. Then you look in the pictures, look in the videos, and it takes time to think what you saw. People go to Israel in 10 days, they're running, 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 running. And then it takes them a whole year to really understand and appreciate what they experience. Then for, for changing the culture of Egypt and the Jews, you needed this whole winter, a whole winter to bring them step by step to understand that God is talking to them and God is controlling the world. Here comes what's the message to us. They're sitting here and here and reading a nice story, but the Torah is not stories. The Torah is le lessons to us in everyday life. Go ahead. Oh, I forgot. Thank you. Um, Mrs. Weiss, please. Every plague. Yeah, we are C, number 13. Then everyone, every little bit had an effect. What does this mean to us? Um, let your daughter read. This is true even about a person like Pharaoh and even in the pre-Sinai era where there was divine decree that the physical and spiritual cannot mix. It is thus all the more true regarding Jews in the post-Sinai era that every single action to advance Torah and Mitzvah has some practical effect. Some practical effect. Continue to read. It's perfect for you. <laughs> and in simple words, words, when we speak in a friendly and sincere manner to a fellow Jew about matters of Torah, mitzvah, ethics, and fear of heaven, it is impossible that these words should have no effect. These aren't our personal words. These aren't words of Torah. They, they are words of Torah. Even if we didn't see the effect immediately, we shouldn't be fooled by appearances. We should know that it is certain that there is some effect but it was sometimes, but it sometimes just requires time for contemplation until it is expressed in a revealed manner. Regarding the argument, okay, let's uh, let's say we'll give an example. For example, we met a family 25 years ago around, 
And then they made a baby naming in our shul. And little by little, they got closer and closer to Judaism. And 20, 20 years passed, and then the daughter is going to a Chabad retreat, together with 100 girls. And then she comes home and she tells your father to put on film. Took 25 years, big deal. That's what the Rebbe is uh, speaking all about. You know, you, when, you, when you walk in influence other Jews, every one of us is trying to share his Yiddishkeit with other people. And many times you think to yourself, you're talking to the walls. No effect, no nothing. People walking into your Hebrew school and 10 years later they walk out of your Hebrew school and you can think that you didn't, nothing changed. And you see people, you walk in like trading water. The Rebbe said, just as it's Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh it had an effect on a Jew, how much more. Every act that you do, every time you share with another person something Jewish, if you share with them uh, a mitzvah or Friday night dinner or you, 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 you tell them a story, a Jewish story, whatever, you give them a mezuzah as a present, whatever you do, it's, it's a cumulative effect. One thing and another thing and another thing can take 30 years, can take 50 years, can, can take, the children will affect, the grandchildren. In this business, that's what the Rebbe says, you need to have a lot of patience. A lot of patience. As I say that in Solon, I can bring everybody closer to Judaism, but I have to live 300 years and they have to live 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only problem. But at everyone, and that's what nobody should feel, oh, I'm talking to my brother, to my cousin, I told him a thousand times to do this, but he never wants to do it. I invite him for the Seder, he never wants to come. Invite him again and again. Don't give up. It's even you reminding him about the Seder reminds him there is such a thing, it's called Pesach. This is already an effect. That's what he's talking about. Then read the last piece. Regarding the argument that we don't see the effect, the answer is that we are looking with physical eyes. If we raise ourselves up a little, we will see the inner dimension of our fellow Jew and observe that it really had an effect, and the effect will continue to grow until it will be apparent to all. It means to say, when I say, I don't see any, any change, it's my problem. Elevate yourself a little bit. Look a little deeper. Don't, be, don't look with, with, with regular, with the naked eye can see. Look into the soul of people. Be more sensitive that you see that what you do has an effect. And it takes time, little by little. My dear friend, it's the job of every one of us to influence another Jew. It's not only my job. It's not only people who are officially rabbis on growing beards and things like this. <laughs> Everybody should do it. Thank you for joining. <laughs>